0: Hey, this is Jewel Bejavarpu, and you're listening to the Infertility Life Coach Podcast, episode 12. Welcome to the Infertility Life Coach Podcast, a show for smart, type A millennial women who want to get off the emotional roller coaster of infertility for good. If you want to learn how coaching can prime your body and mind for pregnancy, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Jewel Bejavarpu, And I am an infertility and endometriosis warrior, as well as a certified life coach. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, friends. How are you doing today? I am super because I have a special guest here today on the podcast, Emily Ginn. She is an infertility life coach, a social worker, and a good friend of mine. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Emily is a master social worker and a certified life coach. She is also the host of the IVF This, a podcast that provides practical tips to help manage the emotions we experience during infertility and IVF. Emily lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and her two sons. Living a life dedicated to service, Emily spent 15 years working as a social worker in hospitals and specializing in crisis intervention, grief, loss, trauma, and post-traumatic stress. After her eight-year struggle with infertility, she decided to take her talents to the world of infertility and working with women that are considering or seeking or undergoing fertility treatments. She helps them navigate the process so they can enjoy their lives in the midst of IVF. Emily's mission is to help women say IVF this to how we think about, talk about, and experience infertility and fertility treatments. Today, we're going to be talking about infertility trauma because, yes, It is a real thing and super important to talk about as many of us experience trauma in infertility or other areas of our lives. So Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your own
1: infertility journey in your own words? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Joel. You know, I adore you so much. Um, so my infertility journey started about eight and a half ish years ago. Uh, my husband and I had been married for about a year and, you know, we had that adorable conversation like, Oh, wouldn't it be so great if we started a family and this will be so much fun and it will be so easy. Right. Yeah. Um, like magically the next day we're going to wake up being pregnant. Um, that did not happen for us. Um, about a year went by and we started doing the fertility workups. Uh, we found that he has some male factor infertility. Um, he has motility issues. So, um, we're very jokey couple. So I always tell him that uh, his guys are just standing around looking at each other. And, um, then we also found out that I had a very large cyst on my left ovary. Um, Through a couple of surgeries, we found out it's a specific type of tumor. It's a mucinous cyst adenoma. It was benign, but we had to remove my left ovary. So now I'm playing with half the team. And then we've got the male factor infertility. Amazingly, after my second surgery, we actually spontaneously became pregnant with our oldest, who is now six. Um, He was our less than 1% chance of getting pregnant spontaneously. Um, and so flash forward a year, we knew we wanted more kiddos, so we were going to try again. Um, and we knew it was going to take a while just from last time. And then a year after that, we were kind of in the same boat. So we did four IUI cycles that failed, and then we moved on to IVF. Um, and our first IVF round was, uh, successful. Even with one ovary, we got two chromosomally normal embryos. And the first transfer we did uh, in February of 2017, we got our three now three-year-old son. And uh, our second transfer that we attempted in September was not successful. Yeah. Thanks so
0: much for sharing your story with us, Emily. I'm sure that a lot of people have the same kind of story and are mm-hmm. struggling with, you know, failed transfers and everything like that. So, but let's dig into infertility trauma. So what exactly is infertility trauma?
1: So we got to start with just talking about what trauma is. So trauma, psychological trauma is defined as the damage that is done to the brain as a result of a distressing event. Mm. So it's the result of an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds someone's ability to cope and integrate their emotions of involved with that experience.
0: Yeah. So trauma can be a a lot of things then it can't, it's not just like the car crash or the death of a relative. Like we are
1: all taught. Yes. So that's a beautiful, uh, explanation. Yes. So how we, how society and culture has curated our view of trauma is disproportionate to what trauma actually is. So you're right. So, And that was my point of reference too, because I worked in trauma centers. So my point of reference for trauma was gunshot wounds, car crashes, spinal cord injuries, things like that. And so it's, it's never, it's always the um, kind of sensationalized view of what trauma is watching someone you love get murdered or um, experience a rape or something like that. That's a very, um, very specific view of what trauma is. Mm. But if you go by that definition, there are actually micro traumas that people experience on a daily basis. And that is so much of what is tied into infertility trauma, because there are these little micro traumas all along our journey. There are some macro traumas, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you have um, failed transfers or miscarriages or things like that. Um, But there are also micro traumas that happen along the way. If you're experiencing, um, or you know, every month that goes by and you get a negative pregnancy test or your period comes, that's a micro trauma. Um, every time you uh, get or see a birth announcement or a pregnancy announcement on Facebook or Instagram, that's a micro trauma, and I just don't think that enough of us like lend enough credence to what that experience is like
0: yeah I totally agree, because i I do think those things are micro traumas, and those things are important that we look at them and evaluate them and take care of them because they add
1: up, yeah. And that's a concept that I teach a lot to my clients is compounded trauma mm-hmm. so if you if you're not trying to conceive or you are not um, on like this infertility journey, then when you get your period is not a traumatic event. Yeah. Yeah. Or when you see a birth announcement, it's not a traumatic event, but the moment that you're in that container and everything starts to layer on the trauma kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you go on. And um, particularly for those of us who are going through fertility treatments, Mm -hmm. by that point that we've started pursuing fertility treatments, we have usually been in this game for at least a year. Yeah. Um, Sometimes more, sometimes less, Um, but those traumas have built upon each other. And so it's this very large, um, if you, the way I kind of explain trauma to my clients is that it's like, if you picture your brain as a bunch of filing cabinets with files in them, trauma is like this blob that sits in the middle of that room and you can't file it away. Yeah. That's a really good image. I love that. Yeah. So when you compound the trauma, it like that ball in the middle of the room just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until we can start filing the stuff away.
0: Yeah, exactly. So how do you know if you have infertility trauma?
1: So um, so that's such a great question. So when we talk about infertility trauma, um, what you're looking at is just kind of basic trauma responses. So Um, a lot of the trauma responses that we look like, um, and I want to make sure I add this caveat very quickly. There is no right or wrong way to experience trauma. There is no, um, like quantitative measure of what trauma looks like. It's very individualized and trauma responses, um, are always normal responses to abnormal events. Yes. Love that. So we want to always normalize whatever it is you're experiencing is normal for what, for the experience you're having. Mm So common trauma responses look like shock, denial, disbelief, um, intrusive thoughts or recurring thoughts about a specific instance or a specific, um, you know, if you're constantly thinking about uh, your period coming or what's coming next or anything like that. Those intrusive thoughts, confusion or difficulty focusing anyone who's um, going through fertility treatments, it kind of becomes your entire world. Very difficult to focus on other things. Um, anger, irritability, mood swings, which are kind of my go-to response. I don't want to, you know, I'm really good at all of those things. Ah, um, me too. That's my response too. <laughs> right? That's my default setting right there. Um, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, um, withdrawal is a big one. Um mm-hmm. difficulty with connection, feeling disconnected or numb. Um, all of those are common psychological responses to trauma. There's also physiological responses to trauma, okay. um, which are insomnia nightmares, depression, recurrent, uh, difficulty concentrating again, racing heart rate, uh, aches and pains are actually a response to trauma, just kind of a generalized in the medical community. We call it malaise. It's like this generalized feeling of unwellness. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. Muscle tension. All of those things are physiological responses. Mm-hmm.
0: So so you're saying that like when people have experienced one or multiple of these symptoms to like kind of check in with themselves and say, Hey, am I experiencing trauma right now? Is something happening in my life? That's traumatic. Would that be what you suggest and kind of checking in with yourself?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing is recognizing it. Yeah. So we can't fix what we don't see. And so the first that first section is like questioning what you understand to be trauma. Totally. And so when that starts, then you can kind of start checking off boxes might not be the best analogy, but it's the one that's coming to me. Like, yes, I experienced this. Yes. I'm experiencing this. Yes. I'm experiencing this. And um, really just acknowledging like, number one, this is what I'm experiencing and not resisting it. And then you can go into what, maybe I am experiencing trauma. What's, what is coming up for me in, in the, within the context of those responses.
0: Yeah. I remember the first time I realized I had experienced trauma and I was reading a book um, about trauma and I was like, oh, wait, this kind of sounds like what I'm experiencing. And I had no like clue because I didn't have that awareness. I had that typical, oh, Trauma is those typical things of like car crash, murder, rape, all those really traumatic events, which are traumas. But mm-hmm. the stuff that was happening in my life, I made that connection to. Oh, I have experienced trauma. Like now, what do I do about it? And d- dove deep into he- the healing part of it. Now that I accepted and and ex- no knew that I was like actually having this reaction,
1: right? And I think that's. Um- for so much of us i know that that was my experience and even though i had spent years and years and years in the face of trauma it wasn't until close to when we started ivf so about 4 years 5 years into our journey that i was like oh maybe there's something more than i'm just really pissed off that we're that we are struggling
0: Yes. Yeah. So tell us about like how you kind of realized you were experiencing infertility trauma and like, how did you know?
1: So, um, a big thing for me was when my husband and I started talking a little bit more about IVF Mm -hmm. and it was actually like another, yeah, another great option is what we did, which was kind of using our significant others as a sounding board. So when I recognized it, I was talking to my husband and he was like, you know, I, I know that I think this is going to be a hard thing for us because over the last, sorry, over the last few years, you are angrier than you used to be. And you're really sad whenever this happens. And, you know, I don't feel as connected with you. And that kind of worries me going into IVF where it could get worse. Mm, Um, and so that was a big trigger for me to kind of look a little bit closer at what was happening for me. And honestly, when I really started getting interested in infertility trauma specifically, I was talking to my mom who is a trauma expert in her own right. She has, um, worked for the department of public safety in Texas and the veterans administration working on post-traumatic stress syndrome. She's a clinical social worker. And I was asking her just on one of our car rides, is it hard for you to watch me go through this? And she said, of course, because it's like any other trauma, it doesn't just affect the person. It affects the entire system.
0: Yes. I love that. It affects the entire system.
1: Yes. And as social workers, like we speak in systems theory. So um, <laughs> uh, that really hit home for me. It's like, yes, it it's not just me that is experiencing this. You know, my husband is like a watcher of me going through this. He doesn't necessarily know what's going on in my head or what's going on in my body. But what he's seeing is that I'm having these trauma responses. He doesn't necessarily have the background in trauma to understand. But what he's saying to me at first I rejected because I didn't want to hear it because it didn't feel good to hear it. Yeah. But once I was able to kind of take a step back and remember that he's trying to be helpful and he loves me. <laughs> and then um, we we were kind of able to start kicking over some rocks and, and seeing what was really happening. Yeah.
0: So how did you move past that trauma? And like, what are the, like kind of the steps or I know there's not exactly steps per se, but what are some like tips or advice
1: you would give? So the biggest thing that I started to do was really focusing on mindfulness. Okay. Um, so much of trauma is amplified by our anxiety and anxiety. I always describe it as is something that thrives on vagueness. Mm-hmm. So when we have these like vague ideas of what could go wrong or what's going to happen, Mindfulness takes us out of that vagueness and gets us more present. So whatever mindfulness looks like for you, yoga, breath work, journaling, meditation, really, it is just about allowing yourself to be in that present moment without struggling against what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the most important if anyone, if anyone wants to put an asterisk next to that one, that's my number one recommendation, um, self-care and it's not just pedicures or taking a hot bath. Um, I think a lot of self-care is including our, I think a lot of self-care is in the aspect of not isolating. Okay. Okay. I am someone who by nature is a little bit more of an introvert. So I like quiet downtime. That is very different from intentionally isolating or unconsciously isolating. Yeah, that makes sense. So we want to make sure that you're not isolating because that actually intensifies these feelings that you have and it can actually intensify the depression and anxiety Um, And then it makes it harder to break out of that cycle because it's a very cyclical um, response that happens. One trauma response, then another, and then another, and then another, and it's kind of a cascading effect. So if if you can limit that, um, not isolating is a really important thing.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was going through trauma and that it was a cascading effect, like one day, next day, next day, you know, and anger and irritability was my go-to. So, um, you know, it was not a fun time, but like my mindfulness looked like me sitting in my closet, like being in the dark, calming down, like looking at how I was feeling and just, processing and feeling my feelings. So I definitely want to add on to that, that mindfulness can look very different for everyone. And you just have to figure out what works for you.
1: Yeah. Mindfulness for me is actually going on a walk without listening to anything. Yeah. Literally talking to myself. Yeah. You have to do what works and you have to
0: figure (laughs) out, you have to try different things. And, you know, for me, meditation and I like, I love to do yoga, but for me, meditation and yoga aren't like mindfulness activities, but
1: you have to figure out what works. So yes, I agree. Right. Um, a few others, just general care for yourself, nutrition, sleep. Yeah. Um, for anyone that's suffering for from depression, um, something that a psychiatrist told me many years ago was: do not let yourself lay in bed for more than eight hours a night, mm. or eight hours a day. However, that looks like. Um, be, even if you literally move from the bed to the couch. That's fine, but don't, don't allow yourself to lay in the bed for more than eight hours ish um, to kind of break some of that cycle out. Cause all you're wanting to do is kind of break that cascading effect. Yeah. Um, Rest, sleep and rest are very different. People tend to conflate the two, but they're actually very different things. And rest can look like, similarly to mindfulness, it can look very different for anybody. Um, rest can sometimes look like daily gratitudes. You know, Oprah talks about the three daily gratitudes and that Mm -hmm. is a form of rest because it's calming your, your spirit, yourself, all of those things. Taking a break from social media is a huge portion of rest. Um, if you find birth announcements, pregnancy announcements triggering, if you're in Facebook support groups and actually feel worse when you spend time scrolling through there, just eliminate it like you don't need it it's not making you feel better and so taking time out from that is a huge portion of rest um i one of my favorite things is naps <laughs> i love it i love a good 30 minute cat nap in the afternoon i rarely get them but that is a form of rest um oh i am right if,
0: there with you on the naps
1: it's the it, it is medicine for my soul um and then particularly if you have kind of the more anxiety related it, limiting stimulants alcohol caffeine um things like that can really help too. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you
0: for all those tips. I feel like that's very helpful and just knowing that it's different for everyone and just trying out new things. And I know you don't want to hear this, like try out new things until you find one that works, but Like, it's true. Like, you know, for me, that rest was okay. I feel really good at reading a good fiction book. And so, you know, sitting on the couch, taking 30 minutes, reading a book and then starting my day again.
1: Yeah. And I think that actually leads to one other thing that I, I would be remiss to not mention so much of trauma responses is laced in judgment about ourselves. So true. The shame. Mm -hmm. So Self compassion. um, I know I said uh, that mindfulness might be the trick. Self compassion really is the antidote to any judgment that you have about yourself. So allowing yourself the space and acknowledging this is what's happening and that's okay. Or again, it's a normal response to abnormal events. Normalizing and giving yourself compassion during that moment is going to be huge for helping your. The fastest way through an emotion is right through it. And that's the same way with trauma. The fastest way through trauma is right through it. Yeah, totally agree.
0: That's a really good point. And self-compassion I think is so important because that's what trauma wants to take away is it wants to bring shame and wants to bring judgment into the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely what advice would you give to like type a high achieving women who feel like they might have infertility trauma?
1: So I would strongly encourage them to reach out for help. So yes. um, one of the biggest things that we have to really highlight when we talk about getting help is differentiating what type of help you need. So if you aren't, unable to do what's called your activities of daily living, getting up, showering, taking care of yourself, getting to work, if you're constantly tearful, um, things like that, that is much better suited for uh, therapy or counseling to help you process through that. Um, That is something that is very specific to that um, kind of work. So therapy and counseling for that. Um, Now, if you are able to function and you are able to move through your day, but you still kind of just feel like crap or you feel very stuck, then I would would really suggest reaching out to a coach um, and seeing if that is something that they can help with. We're not processing the trauma in the same way that a therapist would. We're more acknowledging and recognizing what type of responses you're having versus the processing. So those are two very important delineations
0: yeah no, I think that's I think that's really important to say is like if you are experiencing this trauma, like it's
1: important to get help yes, yeah um nine one one if you feel like you're a, a harm to yourself or others, your OB or your primary care doctor, if you feel like you need to get on medication, those should be your first call if you feel truly overwhelmed and cannot function.
0: yeah, exactly. Emily, thank you so much. Do you have anything else to add you would like to say before
1: we wrap up? Um, I will say that naming the trauma for what it is is a critical step in healing. Because of how we view trauma in this world, it is very easy to minimize your experience. Like, oh, I don't have cancer. I didn't watch someone I love die or anything like that. So mine isn't as bad, but nobody gets to decide what is and what is not trauma. So if it is affecting you and your life and your relationships, then it's still trauma. Yeah. So that's, that is the last thing I want to make sure that people understand.
0: That is so important because we all have a tendency to minimize and and say, well, that's not that bad. Is this really, and I know I did that myself, like, am I really experiencing trauma, but like allowing myself to say like, yes, this is trauma. So that way I can move
1: forward. Absolutely. That's the only thing that matters. We're just going to heal. Exactly.
0: Love it. Emily, how can people find you and work with you? Uh,
1: yes. Um, so you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at IVF, this coaching, Um, My website is www.ivfthiscoaching.com. And my podcast is coincidentally enough, IVF this. So simple. And we'll have all of your information in the show notes. So if people want to
0: search for you and find you and work with you, that is totally possible. And she's a great coach and social worker. So highly (laughs) suggest it.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so so much much for
0: coming on today. I'll see you later. Mm, Bye. If you love the podcast, and if you have liked what you have heard so far, I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and a review. Reviews help others find this podcast and help them get the strategies that they need to thrive during infertility. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. But maybe you want to take this work to a deeper level. I have the perfect coaching program for you. Go to www.simplyjewel.com forward slash empowered infertility to learn more about my signature one-on-one coaching program, Empowered Infertility in 90 Days, and apply to work with me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Infertility Life Coach Podcast. See you next time.